Well, I um, continue to take my inspiration for tonight's talk from the weather. <laughs> Last week I began with impermanence, and you know we were just going through so many changes in the weather. And then uh, this week I became really in touch with the unsatisfactoriness. <laughs> Today's getting a little brighter, but <laughs> it's been a week. Um, so what I've decided to do, I hadn't planned on it, but is to do a series on the three characteristics. Joseph spoke last week, or in his last talk, about how in seeing into the truth of impermanence, it really opens the doorway for the mind to understand the next two of the characteristics, that of dukkha, or unsatisfactoriness, of changing experience, and anatta, the insubstantial, impersonal uh, nature of experience. And just to say a little bit about these three characteristics, that we see them over and over and over again in our practice. That this is what... You know, as we gain momentum, stability in the mind, mindfulness is strengthened, and experiences are registering more as they are, what we begin noticing is these three characteristics. And when these characteristics become really prominent, which we don't have to create, we don't have to... uh, try and make experience fit into the scene of these characteristics, it reveals itself. And this is really important. You know, I kind of have have a bit of hesitation even in talking about the three characteristics because we, our minds can be so slippery in that we hear something about the way of things and then try to impose that on our experience where the discovery of this for ourselves is where true understanding comes. And so that's where, you know, if we have an intellectual understanding of impermanence, of dukkha, of uh, anatta, and we settle for that, then we won't truly come to know. So, you know, the, the speaking about these characteristics is to You know, it's like to point the mind in the right direction. But then with mindfulness, with really taking mindfulness as a refuge, this is just what's seen. But we don't fabricate it. We, you know, and it's not like going looking for it. It's letting it reveal itself. And the seeing of these three characteristics is, is what leads to insight, is what leads to understanding. No, and when we first began to practice and may have experienced some degree of tranquility, so, you know, some, some sense of when concentration is strong, the hindrances are at bay. And we actually start to experience what the mind is like when it's, gre- when it's free from greed, hatred, and delusion. 
which is really great, but that's still conditioned. But when the understanding is there, then it becomes a happiness that is more stable. And this is what the insight, you know, where it isn't just because of concentration that we're experiencing peace, but when we have come to realize the causes and conditions for suffering. We have come to realize the causes and conditions for happiness. Then we find that there's a lot more peace and ease. So I really want to encourage you to examine your minds as they are. To use what is said, what is pointed to, simply as that, as something being pointed to. Some framework being given that is very helpful but not to mistake that for true understanding. Looking into your own minds, your own experience, the experience of this body, this mind, to really see. Remember, this coming from the Buddha was a come and see practice. Come and examine for yourself. Back to the second characteristic, uh, that of dukkha, or the unsatisfactory nature of experience. And as Joseph said in his last talk, this comes, you know, on one level simply because conditioned experience is transient, it's always changing. And so it is not a place that lasting happiness can be found. So this just means that, you know, all of these experiences that are arising and passing, if we're looking to them for happiness, we won't find it. if we are caught in identifying with these experiences, there will be suffering. The word dukkha itself often gets translated as suffering. And this gives a very limited understanding of what the Buddha was pointing to in the word dukkha. 
It has some relevance, of which I'll come to later, but it can um, can keep us on a superficial level of what the Buddha was speaking about with dukkha. It's also, I think, one of the ways that it gets translated that gives Buddhist teachings the, uh, you know, some people think it's very pessimistic. And yet we clearly know from what the Buddha said that he was teaching one thing and one thing only, dukkha and the end of dukkha. And that in... Uh, it was not the statement that there is only suffering in the world, which is sometimes how Buddhist teachings get interpreted. I think dukkha is one of these words that maybe will be somewhat like metta and makes its way into our culture and doesn't always get translated because you know it's just so easy for the mind to jump into suffering and hear it in a certain way the way that we relate to suffering in the english language and you know that may feel like it has some relevance to our lives and at times it may not seem like it has much relevance and yet the, the teachings around dukkha are so central to what the Buddha taught. You know, the, his first sermon was the Four Noble Truths, which is the teachings, you know, the truth of dukkha, the cause of dukkha, the cessation of dukkha, and the path leading to the cessation of dukkha. And, you know, it's like quintessential teachings, really key. And... You know, the Buddha being a very pragmatic teacher means it has relevance to our lives. And so, you know, it's really in our own lives looking to, you know, really exploring what dukkha, what he may have been pointing to when he spoke about dukkha. And so I'd like to just speak a little bit about um, the Pali word and where it comes from. There's actually two words, the first part of it, du, which means bad, low, difficult, or vulgar, and ka, which means empty or hollow. An image that's often used is that of an axle not fitting properly into a hole. And so, you know, if we think of an axle not fitting properly into a hole, there's kind of a rub there. There's a discomfort, there's an easiness, there's a continual state of unrest. Um, it suggests disharmony, uh, being uncomfortable, out of sorts, nothing quite fitting together. Um, another description of dukkha is that of hard to bear or incapable of satisfying. Incapable of satisfying really to me relates to dukkha as it is in the three characteristics. Really just simply seeing all these experiences incapable of satisfying. So there's a dissatisfaction 
there's three types of dukkha. The unpleasant body-mind experiences that we have, and this is very related to you know, what we commonly call suffering. You know, the, or the things where you know, the body and all that it's subject to, that you know, just having this body is, um, brings with it a whole series of what can be very unpleasant experiences. Sickness, old age, death, which is all inherent in being born. And, you know, even when we have the best of bodies, some people have karma that, you know, they can have a very healthy life where the body doesn't give a lot of problems. But at some point, it does. You know, I have a, I I think it was a friend who told me a story once of being in a hospital. And uh, there was this woman there accompanying her husband, and I think he was in about his late 70s, and had just been diagnosed or, you know, was in experiencing pretty severe illness that was probably going to be leading to death. And the woman was just irate and, and yelling and saying, he's been healthy all his life. Why is this happening to him? You know, he had the good fortune to have a good body all his life. And it, it's just, it's something that happens with having this body. And so, you know, even the best of bodies are going to bring these unpleasant experiences. <clears throat> unpleasant mind states we know as dukkha. You know, we're here. I don't really have to say much about this. We've experienced it sitting here today, probably. You know, just how much trouble this mind can make when it gets identified with anger, frustration, worry, self-hatred, judgment. It's really unpleasant. We know this is suffering. This is really evident in our experience. It becomes really easy to see that there's an unsatisfactoriness to this. Even though at times we, we might not be so aware of how it is that hook is happening where the suffering comes in, we can see clearly that it's unsatisfactory. So the first type of dukkha, unpleasant body-mind experiences. Another type of dukkha is the dukkha that comes from impermanence. This has already been spoken about uh, in the last few weeks, both by Joseph and myself. This, you know, just... There is an impermanence. In, in, because of the impermanence, there's this great vulnerability in life uh, that can be a challenge. There's the dukkha that comes from seeing things as being permanent when they're actually impermanent. That, that hallucination or distortion of perception. This form of dukkha is important in that it helps us to better understand 
how it is that pleasant experience is dukkha. Simply because it doesn't last and that there often is upon its cessation the craving for it again wanting to replicate, reproduce, wanting to get it back. The scene of impermanence can really help us with the tendency to want to get things perfect, to want to get things right, because we just see how quickly this is all changing, the futility of trying to make things perfect, the dukkha that comes from trying to make things perfect. On uh, the last retreat that I sat in January, I had the opportunity to do a self-retreat up at Karma Choling. It's a a retreat center that has some little cabins that are quite wonderful to sit in. They're rustic cabins, uh, but they're quite beautiful. And I had been through a period of feeling very much through life circumstances in touch with dukkha, and also seeing the tendency in the mind to really want to get things right, that to want to make things perfect. And then there was a thought that just kind of stood out in my mind when it entered, and the thought was, you're never going to make a pretty little samsara. despite our best efforts. So, you know, really paying attention to the dukkha that comes when the truth of impermanence is not accepted. Opening to the vulnerability that comes because of impermanence. The dukkha that's there. And I'll probably come back to it a bit later, but the teachings on dukkha can be such a pivotal piece. In one sense, they're counterintuitive because what the Buddha encourages us to do is to touch the suffering, to come close rather than to separate, push away. 
because it's through understanding. And our denial, our suppression, our pushing away keeps it at bay but doesn't lead to freedom. The third type of dukkha is the unsatisfactoriness inherent in formations due to their ceaseless arising and passing away. With this comes dis-ease, unrest, instability, and can seem relentless. We notice this on the basic level of caring for ourselves where there's a ceaselessness to that. And sometimes that's exhausting. You know, when day after day we have to do just the same basic things to care for ourselves, to care for this body, to take care of this being, to take care of this world, And we can't stop doing it. You know, you just can't not do it. I mean, you can not do it, but it has consequences. Death, of which is one. (laughs) And then there's just the level of this that we experience in our practice. When the mind becomes stable and there's a lot of arising and passing of experience which at first there might be great joy in the seeing of but after hours and hours days and days arising and passing you know and it can be pleasant unpleasant or neutral experience and it's a sense of impingement the, the sense doors, you know, just bombarded. And it's relentless. That feeling at the end of the day when, you know, it's all right, shut the practice off, just let me go to sleep. I know it's, I've had a few of those. <laughs> it's enough already. It's another form of dukkha. It's one that we, you know, I think we get a sense of more on retreat. We, we experience it more on the grosser level in life. It really is there. You know, when you just don't want to brush your teeth one more time. When, you know, you're so tired you don't want to have a shower. You don't want to clean the house. You know, that's something that, of experiencing it on that level. So, you know, it, it is very prevalent there. But it gets very refined on retreat. And we see it in, in just another way.
So these three types of dukkha, to see them in our experience and the seeing them, the recognizing them, when they're really truly just recognized and not taken personally. then they can be understood. The first being that of unpleasant body-mind experiences. The second being that of um, the impermanent nature of experience. And the third being that of the unsatisfactoriness due to the ceaseless arising and passing of formations. Remembering that the unsatisfactory nature doesn't necessarily mean suffering. When there's suffering, there's attachment or clinging. To the awakened mind, the unsatisfactory nature doesn't have the same effect as when we personalize it, identify with it, attach to it, take personal. And taking personal dukkha is what leads to a collapsing of the heart. If we can learn to see it, and not to lash out at it. I mean, and that's what the, the common response before there's wisdom. It, well, you know, it, it makes sense on some level that there's pain, get rid of it, push it away, you know. But what the Buddha's saying, yes, do that, but through understanding. Because that's what will lead to the highest happiness. These three kinds of dukkha really help to broaden out what is meant by the word dukkha. And I'd like to share something that just struck me as really being true when I read it. And this comes from the Access to Insight website. I couldn't exactly figure out who had said it, but anyhow, I think it's helpful. No single English word adequately captures the full depth, range, and subtlety of the crucial Pali term dukkha. Over the years, many translations of the words have been used, stress, unsatisfactoriness, suffering, etc. Each has its own merits in a given context. 
There is a value in not letting oneself get too comfortable with any one particular translation of the word, since the entire thrust of Buddhist practice is the broadening and deepening of one's understanding of dukkha, until its roots are finally exposed and eradicated once and for all. Now this I found interesting. One helpful rule of thumb, as soon as you think you found the single best translation for the word, think again. For no matter how you describe dukkha, it's always deeper, subtler, and more unsatisfactory than that. It's not meant to be discouraging. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) And I think that's one thing that I'd just like to say tonight. Take interest in dukkha. It changes the whole relationship with it. And you know, actually, interest in itself brings joy to the mind. So right there, you're doing better than you were when you were identified with it. You know, so really just take interest. It's a gateway to liberation. Can you stand at the gateway and bear witness? Can you embrace your suffering? Embracing doesn't mean that, you know, it's like the friend that you invite to dinner and you feast for, you know, hours. But it's like the friend you meet and you simply meet them. You look deeply into their eyes and you come to know them. When we look deeply into dukkha, we come to know the truth of dukkha, which the Buddha said is to be understood. We come to know the cause of dukkha which is to be abandoned. And we come to know the end of dukkha, which is to be realized. And we come to know the path leading to the end of dukkha. And this is to be developed. We're very much like the Buddha when, you know, before he was a Buddha, young man, and he was in his palace. He was, you know, uh, there's different stories of where, whether he really was in a palace or not. But, you know, when he was in that position in life where he saw around him dukkha, 
and he realized he was not exempt from it. But at that moment, he also sensed the possibility of the end of dukkha. And that's really critical because otherwise we will fall into resignation, we will collapse, become disheartened, tendency to disengage when we meet dukkha, if there isn't this sense of possibility. And this is where we can really easily see The Buddha said the proximate cause for the rising of faith is suffering. So it's really when we see that but are not broken by what is seen. Where there is this, you know, and I hate to use the word faith even sometimes because, you know, it can... um, be something we think we don't have. And yet, you know, it can be a silent inkling, you know, just a little spaciousness in the heart. Just, you know, a flicker of wisdom. A tiny bud of faith. In exploring dukkha, we really have to work with our tendency to towards wanting pleasant experience. You know, just the the deeply ingrained habits we have from our lives of suppressing, denying, repressing dukkha, not wanting to see. And so it really takes a courageousness of heart, a deep willingness. But there, to me, is, I don't know, such inspiration, such... I don't know. Hmm. I I just gather so much strength from knowing that the Buddha, you know, just from the stories that he had a mind. You know, he his mind was as crazy as mine. <laughs> it would only be conceit to think mine's crazier. <laughs> And he he found his way out of, you know, he found the end of suffering. And not through running from it. Not through trying to gloss it over.
in his description of dukkha, birth is dukkha, aging is dukkha, death is dukkha, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair are dukkha. Association with the unbeloved is dukkha. Separation from the loved is dukkha. Not getting what is wanted is dukkha. In short, the five clinging aggregates are dukkha. No, a lot of the experiences of life are dukkha. You know, life is not easy. It's not personal. It's not a personal failing. Some of this description points to, you know, again, the unsavory aspects of being a human being. Some of it points to just the desire to get things, to have life be a certain way, and what happens when we don't get what we want, that this is suffering. And then, in short, the five clinging of clinging aggregates are dukkha. You know, and that's really around the identification with experience as being I, me, or mine. looking in our own experience into that which seems unbearable. And just seeing what's happening here. What is this? In the doing this, it's really anatta that will save our lives. that it's the impersonal, insubstantial nature. Having to be aware of our habits of turning away from that which is unpleasant looking at just the little ways we do it in our experience. I saw how deeply this was conditioned when I was uh, at a shopping center, drove to a shopping center one day, and I got out of my car, and I looked down at my tire, and it looked flat. And my first thought was, I'll just pretend I didn't see it. How many things in our lives do we just pretend we don't see? Both, you know, things in the our everyday lives where, you know, walking down the street and there's somebody severely disabled and it's too much to look. Whether it's walking down the road here and there's a dead animal on the road. And 
and the eyes just divert. Whether it's sitting here and judgment arising in the mind and just pretending as if it's not there. Actually, that was something that really happened in my own practice that you know, after many years of practice, I hadn't noticed how much judging was happening. There was just some subtle way of diverting, not recognizing. And it was having an impact that was unrecognized. Looking at the stories of our suffering. This is another way we can really stay entrenched in suffering. Is by these great stories that we build around it. I wonder if we put together all of our woeful stories just from this room. What it would be like. And really that's not to minimize the pain in our life. Because we do. You know, as the Buddha pointed to, you know, a lot of this is not easy. Not easy to be a human being. But the stories wrapped around it that solidify it, strengthen it, that give it life. And so much of the understanding comes from the seeing of what feeds, what feeds that suffering. And then when we see what feeds it, when we experience for ourselves what it feels like when that's fired up, you know, when, when we really let the mind know the burn of desire and it's not blocked, the letting go happens naturally. And that's why if we're continually keeping the suffering at bay, we're pacifying it, you know, just keeping it tolerated in an unhelpful way. Sometimes toleration is really great, but, you know, there's a, a, a level or a way where toleration is sort of like gritting your teeth and burying it, and that's not so helpful. But, you know, it's like we don't really let the mind know the burn of desire, the burn of attachment, the burn of identification. And so we stay confused. We stay confused and we stay in habits of manipulating strategizing, suppressing. We turn away from realizing an essential truth. And the seeing of dukkha, as it is, brings an uprightness, an honesty,
in the scene of dukkha as a universal characteristics characteristic it's this unsatisfactoriness no and really letting letting experience be unsatisfactory without trying to make it better you know without trying to fix it without when we really start seeing dukkha in our practice, it's so common that we think something's wrong. That, you know, it's because we aren't practicing right. That if we could practice better, it would be more satisfactory. You know, even our practice is unsatisfactory. Because it is, it's conditioned experience. So in our experience, noticing dukkha when it's present, noticing unsatisfactory nature of experience, just allowing it to be, not needing to change it. Seeing where it isn't just unsatisfactory experience, but it moves into suffering, where there's identification, one who is suffering. Looking to the causes and conditions from our own experience. the impact of a thought filled with hatred. What happens when hatred is fed? What happens when it's not fed? Acceptance of what is. Embracing the suffering, which is very different to resignation. The embracing is empowering. The resignation is deflating. Remembering it's a gateway. We have the opportunity here to work with the roots of suffering. So many people in their lives 
are so caught in basic survival that there seems not a moment to contemplate in the way we have the opportunity to do here. It's an opportunity to be used, not in the way of pressurizing oneself, but to use this time as an exploration into this body-mind experience. And remembering that the Buddha taught the end of dukkha, where we find supreme happiness, supreme joy. I'd like to close with a teaching from Nyanaponikatera on the three characteristics. He says, Ignoring or distorting the three basic facts ultimately leads only to frustration, disappointment, and despair. But if we learn to see through deceptive appearances and discern the three characteristics, this will yield immense benefits both in our daily life and in our spiritual striving. On the mundane level, the clear comprehension of impermanence, suffering, and not-self will bring us a saner outlook on life. It will free us from unrealistic expectations, bestow a courageous acceptance of suffering and failure, and protect us against the lure of deluded assumptions and beliefs. In our quest for the supermundane comprehension of the three characteristics, it will be indispensable. The meditative experience of all phenomena as inseparable from the three marks will loosen and finally cut the bonds binding us to an existence falsely imagined to be lasting, pleasurable, and substantive. With growing clarity, all things internal and external will be seen in their true nature as constantly changing, as bound up with suffering, and is unsubstantial, without an eternal soul or abiding essence. By seeing this, detachment will grow, bringing greater freedom from egoistic clinging and cultivate, cul- culminating in nibbana, mind's, fine, mind's final liberation from suffering. These three characteristics looking to in our own experience. Exploration. Now let the practice be exploration, joyful exploration, because we're really, you know, looking to understand happiness and the cause of happiness. freeing us from the greatest distress in our lives, freeing our own minds and hearts, we can also help point the way for others. It's the way in which we can bring joy into a world that so needs it. So let's just sit for a moment.
May all beings come to understand dukkha and realize the end of dukkha. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.